This is the Kavnis HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to the Kavnis HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash Our guest today is David Bouguet. David, are you ready to be great today? I am, and it's a choice we make every single day, isn't it? Yes, it is. David serves as an administrator for the South Orange County Community College District. We have served as a vice chancellor for human resources for nine years. Prior to that, he served as vice president for human resources at College of the Desert, and as a Chief Business Officer for the Oakland Community College District, Auburn Hills Campus. Dr. Begay will move to a professor position in January 2019 at Irvine Valley College. In the meantime, he has been busy writing. His books to date include Zombie Darius, a musical comedy play, and two poetry books, Naked Turtle Dances and Zombie Darius, poems for young zombies. Dr. Begay has a PhD in organizational behavior, from the Union Institute and University, accompanied by an MBA from Oakland University. His latest project, which will hit bookstores around August, and is entitled Backboneology, Tough Decisions at Work. This is a practical, hands-on book with deals with the boots-on-the-ground material on the development and implementation of tough decisions in the workplace. David resides in Orange County, California, with his family and friends, especially his wonderful wife, Susie. David, thank you for being here today. Really, really appreciate it. Jason, thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. You're doing a great work for HR people. We need more stuff like this. Thank you. Our life is a nightmare half the time. So, and any lifeline. So, uh, Oakland University, would that be the one in Detroit? Yes. So, Detroit and and Rochester. So, coincidence is I interviewed a guy who graduated with MBA from there a couple of days ago named Ted Yale, and he's actually on Facebook Live now watching it. So, I just, man, what a coincidence. I mean, Oh, he's got to be very smart, no matter what. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. So you have a lot going on right now. What, what do you actually focus on right now? I'm focusing on putting the final touches on backboneology, tough decisions at work. Uh, this book probably, I, I started doing presentations on what I call backboneology, a term that I made up. But you see that in human resources where you have people who sit there and they, they're afraid of making the tough decisions. So they come to HR a lot of times wanting us to make the decision for them. When, you're, when you take that title of a supervisor, when they tell you, it, it, you, you have to earn your money, it's really true. So a lot of times they come and some of the simplest things come through and you have to sit to provide support. I had an example, I had a vice president come to me and he wanted me to install a video camera in a workplace so he could monitor a supervisor that worked for him who was gabbing with his employees for a couple hours. Well, I thought, well, maybe this is an afternoon shift thing and maybe, you know, maybe it's 11 o'clock at night. And so I says, well, why don't you just show up at night one time? He says, says, well, you know, I I don't want to interrupt the privacy of his area. And I found out that the guy was still working while he was working, but he was just afraid to go down and confront the supervisor and tell him to knock it off. So I finally says, okay, no video cameras, no secrecy. This is not HR. Go do your job. Go down there. Talk to him and say, okay, you guys go to work and then talk to him and tell him knock it off. 
just do your job. But he needed to have that extra push. Now, he's not a bad person or evil or anything else, and he wasn't lazy. It was a matter of he was afraid. When it comes down to being afraid, a lot of people are confronted with that. You know, sitting down and having a confrontation with somebody, they become ill, they become sick, they put it off, they do all they can to avoid it, and they depend on other people. And a lot of times, those people are in HR. So this book really addresses a lot of that. I, I had one HR job, and I don't, when I first got there, I remember I called someone in the office or tell them like he got a raise or something. And they were like, Oh, thank God. I thought you're going to fire me, you know? No. And they're they coming to it. Charles will do the fire. And I'm like, no, just, we have to change this. You know, that's, no. it's like crazy. Why, why do you think people don't like confrontation? Like don't want to do like, you know, the, the, that, that part of the job. Just, it's just against, it's against the nature, I guess, isn't it? Well, it's part of that, but but if you go back and, and and if you ever went to college and took a psychology course, you always hear about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and the teacher always says it just like that with a deep bass voice. Even the women do. So, so that being said, when it comes down to Maslow, he talks about issues of the lower levels of needs that we have of really being physiological. But then we hit that level where we're up there in the third level, it was called social needs. And we want to have that aspect of having people go through and accept us for what we are. When you do a tough conversation with somebody, that person probably is not going to say thank you. They probably may not even like you and they may whisper about you behind your back. Nobody wants that because at the core of us, and this sounds really maybe cheesy, maybe too California, we, we all want to be loved. And so we avoid those things and everything else. I got to tell you, one of the very first experiences I had that was traumatic for me was I was a landlord of 500 condos. With the 500 condos, no matter how good the people are, you always have one or two people who don't pay the rent on time. I sat down, my bookkeeper, she says, okay, they're three months behind. You have to deliver that notice. I did all I could to avoid delivering that. I got sick. My stomach churned for three days. I couldn't sleep. And finally, I did it, and I, I went, and I knocked on the door. I jumped to the side so they couldn't see me, and they answered the door. But in the meantime, I'd been praying, and I'm not very spiritual, but at that moment, I was. I was praying that they wouldn't be home. And all of a sudden, they come to the door, and I says, okay, you're three months behind. You need to pay your rent. Okay, I'll be in tomorrow. Sorry about that. Anything else? Well, no. You know, I'm the one that got all sick. I got worked up. But they were the ones that sat down and did the wrong thing. I didn't do anything wrong. They procrastinated. They didn't do it. They knew it. Why did I take that burden upon myself to feel that I would get sick and worried about their rent? So it really came down to is I didn't own it, and I stopped owning it from that point forward. Now, no matter what happens, I can tell you that. I think we're all like that to some extent. We're afraid, we're sitting down thinking about things, and we overreact to them, and we don't think about it. That's kind of normal. And that's why they depend on HR people. So, Dave, how long have you been doing HR? I've been doing HR really for over 20 years. The last 15 has been an executive HR level or senior, senior level. But before that, I was at a, a college campus in Michigan called Oakland University, and uh, Oakland Community College, excuse me. Uh, but there I was uh, the CBO over at the Auburn Hills campus, and I handled five of the seven collective bargaining agreements. So I really dealt with it there as well. So that being said, I've been over 20 years in human resources, dealing with contracts, dealing with employee issues. Prior to that, I had, a, had a, a probably my best course is when I was at Fitzgerald Public Schools as the Director of Facilities and Transportation. Now there, it was my first union experience, and I rolled into a place where we had 60 different grievances the year before I showed up. And the first year, 
we had a heart to heart dialogue with the union and talked about when you grieve, when you don't grieve. We went from 60 plus, I think it was 62 before I showed up. And the first year we had six, then we went down to three, and then we went down to one in the next three years. We stopped the grievance mill because we really kicked up the communication part of it. So I think communication is really the heart of human resources. I also think it's the heart of conflict resolution as well. Tell people, stop beating around the bush, stop hiding behind what the issues are confront them and sometimes you're wrong as an administrator as a, as a leader and you have to be able to own it when you're wrong own it and then sit down and fix it uh, sometimes it's just a matter of you know what you're right let me take that into consideration and then you make a change and sometimes the change is pretty significant i've had to do that a couple of times because believe it or not i know i look like i'm really smart but i don't know all the answers so and sometimes the person coming to you does David, what are some challenges of doing HR in, in a college environment? You know, at a college in, in higher education, there's a big thing called shared governance. Uh, by shared governance, the, the faculty have a lot of input. And in California, we, we do everything a little bit extra here in California. It's actually legislated. So it, it's called, by the time we're done, collegial participation. So whenever you make a major decision and the state legislator passed into law 10 different specific areas for faculty, that administrators, or actually the board of trustees has to consult with and actually go through and talk with faculty. So in California, we've gone the extra step. So we have a lot of unions in California. We have a law that actually dictates we have to actually work with them. And when you sit down and once you get over all the issues of, yes, you have to do this, if you read the literature on it, really group decision-making, actually, you end up with a higher quality decision. Now, sometimes it's so slow, it's like crawling through something and everything else, except for the fact that when you come out the other end, if you do a good job of it, you'll have a better quality decision. The other part is when it's a tough decision, everybody gets to own it. Now, the problem is that if it's a, it's a tough one, everybody owns it, except for the fact that if you're the one executing, it's incredible. When, when all the, the, the stuff hits the fan, everybody backs off and you get to own it by yourself. So that, that, that great sense of camaraderie disappears. You're standing alone. But generally, with, with decision-making, if you get more people to buy in, that's called change management. I covered that in a chapter in the book on tough decisions as well. That's a, that's a critical part. Now, the callers, is it true? I mean, I think I know this right, but... There's like several unions in the college, right? Isn't there like the factory union and other unions you have to deal with? So it's not like this one union, there's several unions you have to deal with, and each has different requirements, right? Typically, okay, when I was in Michigan, okay, we had seven different unions. I had a union for faculty, union for part-time faculty, union for the staff, union for the police, union for the operating engineers, which are uh, like a, like a high-level function supervisor for MNO for maintenance and operations. There are seven of them. Uh, here in California, you'll typically see three or four unions and different things. So like at College of the Desert, we had a full-time union for faculty and a part-time faculty union as well as a staff union. Uh, here at South Orange, we have three of them with a full-time, part-time union, and then we have a staff union as well as a police officer's union. Police officers are very interesting because you have a lot of dignity and respect that comes with the badge uniform, and then the gun, though, changes a little bit things. So the dynamics change when you go from a security level to an officer level, so it's a little bit different. So it's yeah. more interesting. And then, and then sitting across the table negotiating with somebody that has a gun under hip is kind of, kind of frightening sometimes. <laughs> well, David, on your LinkedIn, there's a part that says something about Title V and Title IX. Can you talk about what those are? 
Title V is is a uh, really a, a state issue, and it's a matter of following good procedure. Uh, whenever you deal with disciplinary action, you have to really go through what's called due process. Now, I covered that in a book. Uh, a good friend of mine, Steve Andelson, he's an attorney at Andelson Atkinson, published a book called Frisk, which deals with F-R-I-S-K, and he, and he gives them the detail about it. But by the time you're done, when you deal with disciplinary action, a lot of people are frightened of it. But keep in mind that, number one, if they're doing something wrong as a supervisor, you need to step up and do, do your job and, and tell them, I'm not doing it wrong. Now, frankly, I don't believe that people ever start a job trying to be a bad employee. I just think that whole idea is ridiculous. I think sometimes they go astray and sometimes the supervisor doesn't supervise very well, or it could be that they don't tell them if they think they're doing something wrong. So all of a sudden it goes from something that was zero and all of a sudden, boom, all of a sudden they want to fire this person who really has thought they've been doing a good job the whole time. So really on disciplinary action, on, on, on good due process, first of all, you deal with a oral reprimand. You talk to them personally. Then sometimes you document it if you want to make it stronger and, and say, on this date, I put this in your personnel file because we had the following concern. Second, a written reprimand. Third, suspension. So you suspend them for X number of times, sometimes one day, sometimes 30, sometimes three months, and then termination. Now, that's a good process because you're having good communication along what your expectations are. And that's kind of the standard for public employees in California. Now, that being said, you have that Title IX is a different critter altogether. Title IX deals with sexual harassment and sexual assault. There was a letter that came out in 2011 called the uh, Dear Colleague Letter, the DCL. And if you work in HR in public universities or public education, you're familiar with it. It's gone through all kinds of things, but it deals with some very, whenever you have sex between two students on campus or off campus, and if you have dormitories, it really covers that. Then if somebody makes an accusation that, gee, this, this sexual experience happened to me without my consent, then you have to launch an investigation. It's very traumatic, very difficult, and you really have to start making decisions as to who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, and it gets really ugly. One time I found myself sitting in front of a board of trustees in closed session where I had somebody kept a detailed diary of consensual sex in their homes and and then afterwards, she claimed it wasn't consensual, but she's making a charge and everything else. So I have good people on the board reading. It's it almost frankly, it was it was more than soft core porn. It was specific exactly what happened. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have public public sector uh, elected officials reading raw sex literature here, and I have to help them make this decision. Oh my gosh! So that's Title Nine. Title Nine is very sticky, but frankly, we needed to do something. Uh, you had a really bad definition by a lot of, from surveys of, of young college males as to what is consensual, what's not. Is it, if a woman is passed out, can you have sex with her? And a lot of them didn't think of it as rape. They thought it was just good sex. Like, oh my gosh. So the, the data behind it was, was strong. The process that, that ended up creating was really poor. So, uh, frankly, I think some of the changes now are much better. But that's Title IX. Title IX is really sticky. Yeah, so that's crazy. The things we have to do as HR, isn't it? The things we have yes. to see and hear, people just don't realize. So there's a lot of uh, people graduating from college. What advice do you have for them or just anybody going to HR as a, as a new career? What advice do you have for them to try to break into, into HR as a career? You know, HR, the biggest thing is actually doing the work. But the other part is in, in like the public sector, negotiations is hard to come across. Uh, and frankly, it's a good skill to have. If you are a public sector, you need to have really negotiations in your resume. 
Uh, so get in a team somehow, even private sector, it helps quite a bit. So, so get in a negotiating team, even if you have to volunteer, put in extra time, hold your hand up, say, I want to do this. The other part is so much of HR involves recruitment. And recruitment is a lot of fun. Frankly, you, you see people on their very best days. Uh, that's so much different than we have to discipline them, seeing them on their worst days. So the recruitment part is fun. And it's probably about 80% of the workload. But if you want to get an HR, get involved in the, in the meat of it, which is part of the disciplinary process. So the two things that a lot of people want to advance in HR, you need to sit down and be involved in some of the discipline issues as well as negotiations. So those two things up their career. David, next, can you talk about time you were success in the past, what you learned from the success, and what we can learn from this? I got a couple on success. This sounds really strange. I had an employee who was a mediocre performer, and his attendance was poor. I suspended him for 30 days without pay. Now, that was one of those tough decisions, and you sit down, you look at him, you have a guy sitting there, he had every single thing go wrong in his life, uh, it rained, the crawl space underneath his house flooded, and the furnace went out, and his family was home cold, so he had to leave work. Well, that was really cute, except for the fact that he had a crisis the month before, and a crisis the month before, so every month he's missing three to four days of work. He had a problem with managing his time. I suspended him, 30 days, no pay. That's really tough. That's one step out the door. He came in after 30 days. He apologized for his behavior. He says, I won't do it again. And he actually became a decent employee. His attendance went up dramatically. And frankly, over the next four years, he was actually a really good quality employee and learned from the experience. Now that, that's one of those moments where you sit down and think, I made the right decision. I saved this guy and I could have fired him, but I decided to try to save and give him one more chance. And it, it was good. That, that's a great experience to have. Follow-up question, talk about a time you failed, what you learned from this, and where we can learn from this. You know, I'm one of those people, like, I've gone through, and I've, I've helped, and I don't recommend this, but I have a streak in me, even though I can make tough decisions, I like to help people. That's really at my core, and that's why I'm in HR, I think, quite a bit. With that being said, sometimes you can help them. So, for instance, I've dealt with five different people that were alcoholics. Um, I used to be certified in, in, in determining and working with them as a counselor the whole bit. Yeah, I saved five of them, all five. Two of them love me to this day. One of them doesn't know who I am. The other two hate me no matter what, because sometimes you have to deal with really tough things. I had a mentee, and this mentee, I, I, I work with her nonstop. I did all kinds of things to help her be successful. And frankly, she is just mean. You know, now I haven't worked with her in three years, and so she's gone off the rails. It's really disappointing to sit down and work with somebody, but at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about her, and she has to own that. So that was one of those things where you sit there for your heart and soul in helping somebody, and it doesn't work out, but you have to just suck it up because that's not, that's, I, I don't own that. She owns that. David, yeah. can you talk about someone who has helped you in the past and how they helped you? You know, I've got a bunch of people that helped me. You know, the very first time I I ended up having a failure turned into a success. I got out of high school. I enrolled at Macomb Community College in Michigan. I, I the counselor was busy ordering pizza while he was trying to wait on me, and so he kind of left me between the cracks. So I enrolled in the very first English class. Yeah. It was a pre-college English class, and back in my days, there were an awful lot of people that were coming to college that were stoned on drugs, and they were in this class. So I was in a burnout class. I mean, it was bad. And so I was the smartest person in the class, but that's not saying very much. So the teacher looked at me and says, how would you get in here? I says, well, it was the first class in the catalog. Well, here's a pre-college English class. So, the, so Dr. Rob Avery said, 
you know, let, let me create a special program. So he went through and he took a total disaster of a class, turned into the best thing that ever happened to me academic-wise. Special study, I got to meet with him on a weekly basis, put me in a speed reading program, and I was cranking over 900 words a minute with over 90% accuracy by the time I was done. I used that skill set every single day. I mean, so incredibly, Rob Avery and that little one thing, the one failure turned into great success. That was really good. Another one is my first serious boss named Doug Weber. I was a retail store manager, and he gave me my first evaluation. I broke into a sweat. I was beating up on the forehead, rolling down the back of my neck. I thought he was going to fire me. He says, David, I give you a list of things to do. You do everything but I want you to do. You're doing good, but I'd like you to do the things I want you to do. Next day, he gave me a two and a half page list of things he wanted done in my store. I dropped everything that I wanted to do, did everything he wanted me to do. I spent really four days doing what he wanted on his list. It drove me crazy. He showed up the next week and he says, you did everything. Yeah. And another list. The list was only one page this time. I did everything he wanted first, and then he left me alone. It was really nice. He'd show up. I get a half-page list from that point forward of things he wanted done. I would do what my boss wanted first, and then I could sit down and, and have a really good rest of the week. Now, I learned that, and I practiced that all the time. Whatever the boss wants, I do with it first, and then they go on from there. It's amazing how many people don't get that right there. You know, you got to oh, take yeah. care of your boss. David. Yeah. Tell us something about yourself most people don't know. Like, of course, your close family, your wife, close friends know this, but people that see you day to day don't know this about you. I'm shifting over. I, I'm, I'm working on the book and everything else, and I had a friend of mine call me up. She is a consultant in human resources, uh, and, and so she says, can you help me out with this project over here? By the time it was done, I ended up doing a market basket uh, benefit and compensation study. And I didn't realize there's apparently a need for that. I just was helping her, and all of a sudden I got a second phone call. Now I got three different projects going, gathering data and doing that. So it's one of those things of, okay, you want to help to help you with this and everything else. And all of a sudden now I got a small business on the side. I never anticipated it happening. So, so in the world of HR, I, nobody wants to do these studies because they are so brutally involved in research. And, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize there was a need. I'm almost sorry that I, that I helped her at this point, except for the fact that I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. We, we actually built a couple of market baskets, do surveys, do all kinds of research on it. It helps quite a bit. So that's one of those weird things that happens where you kind of stumble across it and it's a pretty successful venture. David, I understand you have a book to recommend for our listeners. I do, and it happens to be called Backboneology, and it's going to be coming out this fall, so either August or September. Frankly, if you're in HR, this is the book that you want to sit there and buy, read it, and give it to somebody else who really has been a thorn in your side because they don't follow through or they're afraid of making decisions. The other part, if you're a leader, this book will give you the different aspects to how to make a tough decision. Talk to people. I dive into all kinds of detail about going through how do you deal with the personnel issue? How do you deal with negotiations? How do you deal with change management? If you can sit down as an HR person and train people how to make tough decisions, all of a sudden your job becomes easier. So that's what this book is about. Now, the other one is there's another book, Laos Bach. He came out with a book, and I think it's one of these books that every HR person should get, grab and read. It's called Work Rules, Insights from Inside Google that Will Transform How You Live and Lead. Now, he dives into micro, micro data. He's incredible what he does. I would recommend that. Now, I don't know if we should need to leave all that data except for the fact that he does such a good job. And, and frankly, the, the book really he dives into what happens, how, how does the hiring decision get better after you interview the same candidate 24 times? Now, gathering 
data on that. He's, he says that after about the third one, it almost becomes a waste of time because your quality only goes up percentage-wise. And he measured it. So, oh, my gosh, I, you expect nothing less from that. But it's a pretty incredible experience. I recommend that one as well. David, I also understand you have something for our listeners. I do. If, if uh, they, when I'm a book launch, I'm going to have some special training programs coming up when the book launch. So when that happens, hit my website. The website is, is uh, www.backbonology, B-A-C-K-B-O-N-O-L-O-G-Y.com. So I'll have some special stuff when we do a launch in, in either the end of August or in September. David, can you provide your social media links for yourself so people can reach out to you? Yeah, I got two of them. Okay, there's Backboneology, that's one, and the other one is DocD, uh, D-O-C-D, the writer, uh, .com, and, and they just sent me uh, DocD at gmail.com, that, that's my email address. And for listeners, we have the links to the book recommendation and social media in our show notes, and the show notes are at www.cabinstatechartblog.com. David, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide our listeners any last-minute wisdom or advice on any subject you want to talk about? You know, the biggest thing is, I think the biggest thing is that all of us, if you get a college degree, somewhere in there, you've had to go through a speech class. I've never heard of any college offering a class on listening. Uh, we've all heard the old thing is that God gave us one mouth and two ears. We should listen twice as much as we talk. If we did that, if we listened to people and, and really listened without trying to formulate a response back to them, listen to what they have to say, that would resolve a lot of conflict. And that's what a lot of HR is about. So my recommendation is listen, truly listen to people. And it's incredible how that solves a lot of problems. Yes, actually, my company, Cameras HR, one of my values is listen to understand, not listen to answer. A lot of us just listen to answer, you know. David, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy person. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been awesome. I appreciate the invitation. Take care. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.